The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. Your host is Jessica Pirro. In today's program, we will provide awareness and education on various types of crises, the impact they have on one's well-being, and provide help to empower hope for you or someone you love. This program will help you understand various types of crisis situations by hearing from experts in the crisis response field, as well as those with lived experience through a difficult time. Now, here's Jessica Pirro. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. I am your host, Jessica Pirro, and every week I bring you conversations that uh, bring information, uh, education, as well as real-life experience uh, for many issues that uh, we see our society faced with every day, but also especially highlighting uh, work that we do here at crisis centers across the country to reach out to help people in need. Um, Today's topic, and we've talked a few times throughout uh, my shows is around the issue of uh, mental health and suicide, but we're really going to have a focus today on talking about men's mental health and suicide. And let me just kind of give you a backdrop to to why this conversation is so critical. Men die by suicide 3.5 times more often than women. And recently, um, and we did a show a few months back, that the Center for the Disease Control and Prevention had recently provided a report with up updated statistics on our suicide rates, and we've seen an increase by 24% overall from 1999 to 2014. But specifically for middle-aged men, the spike of death by suicide is even higher. It jumped to 43% during the same time period. So seeking help is often viewed by men and society maybe as a sign of weakness. So we need to talk about what needs to happen to reduce the stigma and provide support in seeking help and show that that's a sign of strength and not a sign of weakness. So my guest today um, is going to be talking about that specifically, um, and he himself has lost his father and his grandfather to suicide, and he's made it his mission to share his story to help save lives. We definitely want to highlight the silent killer of men and the need to focus attention on prevention, screening, and really creating communities where it's safe to talk about mental health, suicide, and finding strength in getting help to save lives. So before I introduce my guest, I want to share some resources for you. Um, If throughout the show you're having concerns for somebody that you love, uh, a friend or a neighbor, um, as well as you yourself might be having thoughts of suicide or need somebody to talk to, we want to make sure that you can reach out for help during our conversation. So the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And also the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline also has a chat component on their website. It's the Lifeline Crisis Chat, and that's www.crisischat.org. And they also have, there's the Crisis Text Line, so there's a couple different options for you to reach out for help. And that website, 
website to reach out to uh, to find more information about the text line is www.crisistextline.org. And for my international listeners, there's the International Association for Suicide Prevention, and that website is www.iasp.info. And when you go to the web page, um, there's a, a place where you click on resources, and then it provides all the different crisis centers in all the different countries throughout the world. So as we start the show, um, I always like to make sure to remind you that we welcome you to email questions in um, for our guest. And so the email you can reach out to is jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O voiceamerica at gmail.com. So I want to introduce my guest who's joining me today. Uh, Josh Rividell is the founder and executive director of The Impossible Project, and he's also an author, actor, playwright, an international public speaker, and program specialist on mental health and suicide prevention. His memoir, The Gospel According to Josh, a 28-year Gentile bar mitzvah, is on the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention's recommended reading list. And his most recent book released, The Impossible Project, Reengaging with Life, Creating a New You, debuted number one on Amazon in the suicide category in January 2016. So Josh, thank you so much for um, spending some time with me this morning um, to really talk about this really critical conversation. So thanks again for, for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jessica. I appreciate it, and I'm glad we're uh, we're taking some time to discuss this. It's really important. So why don't we just start off to share with our listeners um, your story and your experience with suicide? Sure. Um, so my story uh, is is kind of intertwined with my father's and my grandfather's, and and a little bit of my professional background when I started out as an actor um, back at age 19. I'm now 32. Um, but basically, you know, I grew up in a very sort of oppressively religious home, and uh, and my father kind of took it to the extreme, and he was uh, a bit uh, physically abusive and more so verbally abusive, especially to me, but also to my brother. Um, and going back in his history, when he was 17, his father took his life. His father, this was 1966, his father served in World War II, um, I know for a fact that my father never dealt with this. He was, I believe, the first, a first responder to his father's death. And, uh, and he, my father didn't actually know that we, his children, knew about his, his father, our grandfather. My mom told us in secret because my father was embarrassed. He didn't really want to be associated with that. And I think he was ashamed, and he just didn't really quite know how to deal with it and didn't want to. Um, and so he's, he was married to my mom for about 30 years, and th- at this point I'm uh, fast-forwarding to age 25, uh, and, uh, and they were married for 30, unhappy for like 29 and 364 days. Um, and, you know, you couple that with the abuse, and I think he was dealing with, uh, with some bipolar disorder that was undiagnosed and definitely some depression. And um, so my mom filed for divorce as soon as my younger brother finally left the home because um, she had kind of had enough, and so this gruff character, this really angry person who had some, some bouts of, of niceties to him and, and, and some niceness, but um, really this gruff character really turned inward and started obsessing over my mom and fell into a depression. And, I, you know, none of us, not even me, had the vocabulary around depression, mental health, suicide. And so, you know, I, I mean, I, we, we tried to 
I can really only speak for myself, but I but I could say that all of us really tried to, to reach out and be there for him, but there's only so much he would let in, and we didn't really know what to look for or anything like that. And um, March 31, 2009, my father took his life. Um, he was at home by himself, and um, and he was in serious pain, and he ended up leaving us a note, and it rocked my world. Um, you know, I didn't didn't really like my dad, but I loved him, and uh, and it changed the course of my life forever. And so, in the aftermath of that, um, you know, I did. I like I said, I was a professional actor. I still am a writer, et cetera. Kind of getting my spreading my wings as a writer a little bit. And I wrote a one-person show. I happened to get in this one-person show class. Um, and in that class, over the course of a few months, six months or so, right after he died, I wrote a, a one-man show where I played like 20-some-odd characters. I sang a bit in it. Uh, initially, it was called The Gospel According to Josh. Now it goes by kicking my blue jeans in the butt. But basically, you know, I play a bunch of characters, I sing, and it's the story of our relationship and me going into show business and butting heads. And it's largely a comedy, and then at the end, you know, I'm, I'm left to deal with his suicide. And so it really is the story of our relationship. And I had, really had no perspective at the time. So in some of the initial drafts and incarnations, I was very angry and judgmental. And uh, it, was, it was really uh, rough. And then I put it up in 2010 in New York City. I got a couple of good, good series of, of shows uh, around it and, and runs, you know, six, eight shows at a time. And um, people were really responding. I got good, good reviews. Um, and there were people coming up at, to me afterwards and saying, hey, man, thanks for speaking openly and honestly. My grandma, my mom, my this, my that, somebody took their life. And we haven't talked about it in 10 years. And I was like, okay. You know, I didn't, it wasn't really supposed to be an educational piece at that point. But it was interesting. And it was kind of stored in the back of my mind. But it wasn't really anything that resonated with me. And then fast forward like another six months. And so now it's the beginning of 2011. And now I'm in the worst place in my life that I'd ever been in. Um, my dad was gone. My mom uh, sued me and my brother and sister and took us to court for my dad's inheritance. And so we mm-hmm. basically had no relationship at that point. And she had always been the normal parent. And, you know, I, I think that was one of her ways of, of grieving. And it wasn't a healthy way, but that's how it happened. And um, my girlfriend of six years decided it was time to leave as well. So I lost, like, three major people in my life in a span of about 18, 19 months. Right. And so I started, you know, I, I, I was, to avoid all that, I wasn't really drinking and drugging. I was drinking a little bit, but it was more taking on new projects, taking on more work. So I went, you know, 60 hours, 70, 80, 90 hours a week, and that's really unhealthy. And so then the beginning of 2011, I, you know, I didn't quite have as much work, not even close. I was working about 10 hours a week, and I had all this time to think about all the bad things that were going on in my life. On top of that... Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to me, I was starting to deal with some clinical depression. I, I, I didn't know that was that's what it was called. I thought I was going crazy, but right. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I would cry at the drop of a hat. Um, uh, you know, I, I would barely leave the house. Um, you know, I was in physical and emotional pain. And at the beginning of the six weeks, I started thinking about suicide like weekly, and then it got to the point towards the end of the darkest period where I was thinking about it by the minute, and it scared okay. me. And so um, I was. Uh, you know, I was hanging off of a, uh, out of my fourth floor window, um, you know, just about ready to take my life. And something inside my head um, said, go back inside and ask for help. And I didn't really listen to it at first because I was like, well, nobody cares. Nobody wants me. I'm a burden. Um, you know, all these people are passing me by in life. And here I am. And just all the, the, the mental 
negativity and garbage that that one could dredge up about oneself. I mean, that's where I was. I was the worst. And um, and then finally, something inside my head said, you know, I don't think you want to die. I just don't think you want to feel like this. And so right. there might be some other way to go about this. And so I went back inside and I started repeating this mantra. You know, just to the universe, I guess, please help me to connect to positive people, positive thoughts, positive experiences. And that happened for a couple hours, and then I finally got the clarity to reach out and call my mom and ask for help, even though we had virtually no relationship. And at first, you know, I, I mean, I spilled the beans, and I kind of said what was on my mind, and then she asked me if I was thinking about suicide. And I said yes, and then there was a little bit of judgment and, and, and some religiosity that I didn't need to hear at the time. And then she switched gears and just listened to me for, I don't know, five minutes or, or more. And then, um, and then we kind of came up with a strategy for me to kind of map out what's going on in my, in my brain and make sure I had resources. And, uh, and from there, you know, uh, after that phone call over this period of a few months, I got into therapy and I started reaching out to the good people in my life and exercising and eating right and journaling and creativity, taking classes on neuroscience. And then I found the capacity, you know, to then want to do something about this issue, the suicide and depression um, and, and mental health, because, you know, if there were all these resources out there, which there were, and I didn't know about them, I'm, I'm pretty well read and pretty in tune, and, and, and I didn't know about these things. And so I was like, well, if, if I don't know about them, that means must mean a lot of people don't know about them, which is true. And um, right. so I, I really made it my mission to then, uh, in different formats and in different uh uh, methods to, to talk openly about suicide and mental health and depression. And so it hit, it, it hit me that I had this one person show that people had already responded to in regards to suicide. So then I can kind of put some hope and healing at the end of it. So I, I decided the first place I wanted to go was start reaching to college, reaching college students. Um, cause it just seemed like one of the easiest places and one of the first statistics in, in terms of, um, uh, people taking their life. And so, I, I decided to condense the one-person show to about 45 minutes where there's still a beginning, middle, and an end. And then I got a bunch of training, suicide prevention, mental health, started volunteering, making sure, you know, from, from different people and places that my language was safe and that, you know, the stats were were, were okay And, and when, when I was doing my practice runs and then doing a Q&A at the end. And so I piloted this at Baruch College, and um, and thankfully they said yes, and, and so we piloted there. And then... Uh, I didn't really know how it was going to go, but at the end, you know, there was a young man who came up to me and said, hey, dude, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. You know, I'd been thinking about dying and thinking about, you know, I'm depressed for a long time. I thought they were both normal, and now I know that they're not, and so I'm going to go to the counseling center and get some help. And I thought to myself, well, if this young man, you know, if, if, if I had to go through everything I went through just to help this one kid, this one guy, it was all worth it. So right, um, that's right. kind of when I dedicated my life and existence and creativity and professional, you know, acumen to, to talking about this. And so since then, um, I've been in over 100 locations in four countries, um, over 30,000 people, and then there's books involved, which I guess we'll chat a little bit about later, but which is still an important part of the story. Um, but uh, just making sure I reach audiences, and I've, I've gone from, you know, kids as young as six years old to as old as, like, I think 90. So, um, you know, this, this issue and this topic permeates society, mental health, suicide, especially in men, and, um, you know, just having that experience with my father, my grandfather, and me. So that's, that's largely my experience with suicide and as a survivor of loss and as someone who has um, actively, you know, been suicidal at one point.
Right. And I think what's important about your message um, is that, you know, when you have a family member die by suicide, the risk that adds risk to, to you um, and you're showing exam- uh, that example, um, but also how you broke that cycle of, of having, um, you know, by by not completing suicide when you were at that moment. Um, you, you had this generational experience that you were already dealing with. So it's really a, an important piece when we have family members that do die by suicide that we that puts us at a little bit of a higher risk. Um, and we need to pay attention to that um, when we're looking at um, support and help for our families. So when they don't talk about it, that's concerning. You know, you do need to talk about it to try to help each other out. So, you know, just briefly, uh, Josh, you know, what, what do you, what would you say like are one or two things that you feel are barriers for men for seeking help? Um, I think a few barriers for men. I, I think just the societal piece of, of pick yourself up by the bootstraps, like you're a man, so you, you're not supposed to feel emotion. And if you do, then you're a woman. Like that's something bad to be, you know, right, I think, I think, right. you know, feminine qualities are pretty wonderful, but I think that, that that's one of the things, you know, we can't show each other how we feel. We can't talk. We've got to hold it in. We've got to be strong. And, and that's, that's, so, that's just so antiquated. I mean, the strongest people I know ask for help. And, um, and so I think that just being open and, and vulnerable as a man, I think that makes you more of a man. So I think, I think this idea that, you know, the pick yourself up by the bootstraps uh, piece is, is certainly a barrier um, to, to, in reaching out for help. I think I think there's another piece, um, and, and and it all kind of ties into stigma and discrimination. Uh, I, I think people are afraid that they're going to be unemployable or undateable, or that people will think of them as less than. And that, to me, that's another piece of why I do what I do because I want men, I want people, but men in particular because I'm a man and I kind of know that experience. Um, that, you know, I'm living mentally well, and I've been suicidal, and yet I'm gainfully employed, I'm doing well, I vacation, I got married to a very beautiful woman who's also tremendously smart, and that was back in November. Um, but, you know, I have all these things in my life that are going well, and and I'm not discriminated against, and it's because I'm open and honest and vulnerable. And the people that, you know, men, you know, if there are people in your world who either don't know how to be that or be that for you, you know, you just have to assess, is this person worth it to be in my life? Are they, you know, are they, do you, you know, do they have the capacity to change and, and sort of be there with me in, in the emotional state that I need to be in? Um, but there are people out there who will embrace you with open arms or a, a, an open fist bump or a handshake, however it is that you communicate and show your emotion. But it's really, really important to know that, um, that you're not less than and that lots of people go through this and uh, and they come out on the other side alive and thriving and, and not just surviving but thriving and um, <clears throat> don't you know please don't let society's um, unrealistic expectations prevent you from from reaching out Absolutely. Well, Josh, we, we have a lot that we I know we want to be uh, getting into um, we're going to be heading into Britain. And I just want to remind our listeners that if you do need to reach out for help while we're talking throughout the show, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. So please stay tuned. You're listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope.
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Crisis Services is Buffalo and Erie County, New York's safety net since 1968. We provide hope, safety, and immediate help 24 hours a day. If you need someone to talk to, or if you or a loved one needs immediate help, our crisis first responders are available anytime, at any hour. You're never alone. Crisis Services is here to help. Call 716-834-3131, 716-834-3131, or visit us on the web at crisisservices.org. Remember, you are never alone. Call Crisis Services 24 hours a day at 716-834-3131. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pirro. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Josh Rivadell, and he um, is sharing his story and his experience of, of losing his father and his grandfather to suicide and his own experience. Experience as a man dealing with depression and thoughts of suicide. And that's really our, our target and focus of today's conversation. So, Josh, I wanted to kind of uh, talk a little bit about the impact of suicide on the, the survivors. Um, you know, you um, can you share how you've learned to cope as a survivor of suicide loss, um, as well as just kind of managing those thoughts and how they then impact you? Mm, sure. Um, as a survivor of loss, uh, I've I've learned to cope in in, in numerous ways. I think um, uh, just being around good people and people who are empathetic and understanding, um, and and people who have been similarly affected. Um, I mean, that's not my entire circle of friends, but um, but that's been helpful. And I think I think for me, the creativity was really really important. Um, going through that one man show class, you know. Writing, you know, writing that piece of theater was was really helpful because I, I and and you don't have to do that as as far as like being a survivor of loss, but tapping into creativity, um, I think is really really important. It's a distraction. It they also it, it it teaches you the lessons that you're willing to to dive into and learn. Um, for me, I needed to to realize that my father was more human uh, instead of you know kind of him being this black and white character. Um, 
and uh, and then and then just also mapping out things in my brain and writing and things like that. That's been really good for me. I know other people do yoga and dance and this and that, and, and that's great. You know, whatever gets you there. Um, and then and then some therapy has been helpful as well. And then you know, as far as being actively suicidal and learning how to cope, um, I you know I have my own safety nets. Um, you know, throwing myself in the service of others while managing my self care and making sure I'm not you know overdoing it. That's been really good, just volunteering and, and sort of creating this social entrepreneur piece where, you know, I'm doing social good with that. Um, that's been big. Um, my, my wife's been amazing, uh, good family, good friends, um, exercise, eating right, and the journaling has been really, really important, um, and, and therapy and, and just talking and being vulnerable. But I think, I think those are some, some really big ones for me, and, and it's not necessarily the... the the suicide piece, but more managing depression, um, is is just a it's an ongoing thing, and it's like, you know, I, I would imagine it's similar to like learning to live, you know, as a vegan or diabetes or whatever. Like you just kind of you, your life shifts a little bit, and you right. manage your 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 physical and your emotional state, and that's just the nature of life, and I'm cool with it. Now, when you were sharing in the first segment about reaching out to your mom for help when you were thinking about suicide and kind of the initial reaction you said wasn't helpful, and then she started to listen to you and kind of guide you and help you um, in that moment, I think it's really important to talk a little bit about how people receive that when somebody talks about their thoughts of suicide and what are some things they can say right off the bat. Um, I think a lot of times we want to try to fix things quickly, but really Really, it's so critical to just listen when somebody's in that moment to kind of hear what's going on for them. But what are some suggestions you would have, you know, if somebody was to present and say, you know, I am having thoughts of suicide, what would be some things people could say to them um, man sure. to man to, to give that support? Yeah, well, I, I think I think for starters, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Listening saves lives. I mean, so just to be there and to to tell your mate, tell your buddy, tell your, your, your best bloke, whatever, that, 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 you know, I'm here and I'll listen. And, and I don't necessarily know exactly what you're going through, but I'm going to be there and, and see if I can make it make sense in my head. And regardless, like, what you're going through is real. And um, so just talk. And so listen to them. Listen to them talk. And, and, and let them know that what they're going through is real and tell them that, um, you know, that, that their life is important to you. And that you care about them, and um, and it just wouldn't be the same without them. Um, and and try 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 to try to lay off the guilt trip, you know, and try to lay off the giving advice and and the quick fix because, you know, um, I, I, it's the human experience. We all try to to solve problems, and you love somebody, so you want to try to help them. But really, it's it's only the the, the it, all you can do really is to give them space to think things through, and give them a big 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 space to, to do that. And then while in the course of conversation, listen, listen for things that they may feel responsible for. Like if they're, only, if they're the only person who can pick up their niece or nephew from school, or if the only one who can give grandma the insulin, you know, just, just bring that back, you know, as, as you're listening. And when, when it's your turn to speak, um, you know, just so I heard something about grandma. I heard something about, you know, you being the only person to pick up the niece and nephew. Like, do you think, you know... Could you, could, you know, who else would do that? And do you think that that could be something that can keep you here until we can figure out sort of the next step 
in in getting help you know because i'll always be here to listen to you but you know you need a, somebody a little more professional than me to kind of take it to the distance and make sure that you can manage this long term because it does get better and it will get better and uh, right now it's it's pretty awful but um but it's possible um but things get better and it's always nice to you know there's there's more than a few people now online uh, like me, like a Kevin Hines, like a Kevin Berthia, like a Kevin Briggs. There's tons of Kevins for some reason. Yeah, um, I noticed and, that and too. Desiree Stage and different people who share their story open and honestly, and um, you know who say I've, I was I was in this dark place and here I am now. And they even give some steps in between as to how they kind of got to you know the more light you know the the, the lighter side out of the darkness. And um, so sharing stories of people who have been there before. And, and who manage their way. I think that's also a really good thing to do. Absolutely. And, I, you know, you had mentioned I actually Kevin Briggs uh, was on the show a couple months back. And, you know, I think it's just that, um, you know, allowing yourself to be vulnerable but is a, is a strength, you know, and how we kind of look at these things differently, especially for men and their perspectives, um, that really that openness and that vulnerability is, it takes a lot of strength. And if we can kind of get people to see that that's, that's a real positive, um, you know, more people might be more comfortable to, to reach out for help. You know, we've talked a little bit about how we can, you know, talk with somebody who brings this to us. But if somebody is having concerns of their best friend or their their uncle or their dad, can you give any suggestions of what might be a, a starting question or two to try to engage them in this type of conversation? Yeah, I think it, it, I think it's as simple as I have noticed. You know, I've noticed you've you've been a little different lately, um, and then you you know fill in the blank with whatever you're noticing, and then um, you know just say like I'm concerned about what I'm seeing, and I love you. You could say that in your own language. I care about you. I love you. You're my boy. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. and um, and then say, you know, because I'm so concerned. You know, I'm just curious if if, if you've been thinking about suicide as as an option, and um, and let them sink it in. And sometimes they're going to be angry with you. You know, sometimes it's going to be they're going to take offense to it, and that's okay. You know, because I think that's you know with with how society views suicide. Um, you know, and depression and mental health in general. Um, I think I think there's there's the you know I'll, I'll deny it at any cost sort of a thing. So it's okay to ask that person again and say, hey, it's no judgment call. It has nothing to do with who you are. I know lots of people have thought about it previously and they haven't gone through with it. Um, so there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just asking because I just want to make sure that you're, you know, that that what's going on upstairs is going okay and that that you know that you're you know, that you're safe. You know, I, I wouldn't be a good friend if I didn't ask you. You know, it could be that sort of, that could be that simple, and it's it's maybe a little hard to dance around at the beginning, but you once you find your groove, you know, um, it's it's manageable, and you just have to manage the person and the conversation. Absolutely. Now, you know, you had shared um, the experience of your family um, and really not talking about the suicide, um, you know, especially like your father not talking about your grandfather's suicide. And we see a lot of times families are even um, ashamed to even say that they lost their loved one to suicide. So that openness of talking about this um, for family members is really important for their healing as well as their own safety. Um, And like we talked about earlier, that that, that becomes a risk factor. Um, 
how was it for your family, you know, now? Um, I don't know what your relationship is with your mom, or but you're very open about your own experience and your, your father, your grandfather's experience. I'm just curious, the rest of your family, are they becoming more open to talking about this, or um, are they still kind of keeping it quiet? Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting... Um Sort of paradigm. I think they are. I know. I know they're proud of me and for what I'm trying to do and what I am doing, and um, and how open I speak about it. And uh, I don't think they've ever been to any of my sort of educational um, pieces, but I know that they've seen the show when it was early on in its incarnation. It was just theater, and so they they were pretty supportive about that as well. But they also know that I go around and talk and 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 uh, I'm pretty open about it. So they're pretty cool about it, and and they've you know we've had some some brief conversations and stuff, um, but I don't know that they're super vocal about it. Um, but I know that it's made them more empathetic and more kind, and 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 just um, just rounded them out a little bit, just as it has me in a different way. Um, but I I can't say that we really dive into it too often. I mean, you know, there'll be you know, a holiday or his birthday or Father's Day or something like that, we'll all check in. But um, uh, but I, in a certain way, you know, it, it it drove us apart in the beginning, and I think it's I think in, in part it's it's brought us closer together because we all, and especially after I went through uh, my suicidal crisis, I think we all kind of realized like, okay, we we need to get it together as a family, and mm-hmm. um, and it's it's okay to be of differing views. And, and be different people, but at the, at the end of the day, you know, we're family and we, we do love each other, and um, this bad thing happened in our world, but, we, you know, we're not going to let it drive us apart. Absolutely, and I, you know, I think, um, you know, I know the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention does a lot of support for survivors um, and also other community agencies, probably in your own communities you could reach out to um, if you have lost a loved one to suicide. But that um, support um, to know that you're not alone and um, to be able to openly grieve as well as celebrate the person, I think, is so important for survivors, you know, after they've lost somebody to suicide. Because a lot of times, you know, there are some unanswered questions um, um, that people struggle with, um, and I'm sure you you've probably had that experience as well in in, in your own um, your own family. So um, yeah, it's just important I think to share that piece of it. What what other types of supports or message would you want to kind of make sure our listeners are hearing today when we talk about men and talk about the importance of talking, you know, about their taking care of their mental health as well as reaching out for help. You know, what other messages would you like to make sure we're, we're getting out today? Um, <clears throat> that, you know, especially with men, I mean, there's, there, there are lots of resources and there's lots of places that, that you can kind of dive into if you don't necessarily feel comfortable speaking right away, you know, being open and, and vulnerable and saying, I need help. But there's, you know, there's this, this you know, uh, on a base level, there's the suicide, pre- you know, prevention hotlines and things like that. But we can even go deeper than that. I know in, in, in Australia, there's mates in construction, and that's one sector of business um, where, you know, men are just kind of open and honest. And, and then there's, like, men's groups, too. Um, you know, there's the Mankind Project. Uh, where you know men are helping each other out. There's there's uh, the, the uh, 
sheds movement in the UK, and I think they have that in Australia as well, where you know men just kind of build stuff together, and you know there's these kind of like man cave, man sheds kind of stuff going on. So there, you know, it, you kind of have to do a little research and things like that. But there are places out there. So if, you know, you, for my money and for for who I am. You know, and I know we do have to call suicide prevention suicide prevention, but we can go far, farther upstream and, you know, reach boys and men in school, mm-hmm. and we can reach boys and men through men's groups, and we can reach uh, through the way that we attack this issue in, say, church or, you know, through the HR department at work. So there's lots of different places where we can, you know, be of help and be a help to others in addition to getting help for ourselves. So, uh, but I would recommend men. I mean, this therapy is definitely um, a great thing. Counseling, talking to someone, making, you know, it's confidential. Um, and there's, you know, you do have to do a little research, but uh, through different insurance plans, uh, especially in the U.S. now that we're closer to like a single payer system and it's you know pretty much universal a lot of these plans do have a mental health aspect to it so you just kind of have to look and see what your copay might be if you want to go to therapy and see if you know there's people within your network uh you know therapy providers within your network um if you're if you're in a union a lot of times therapists will provide services on a sliding scale so that you're not paying 200 an hour you might be paying 50 depending depending on your your financial status and you know your your household income, and then there's even times where you know you might it might be gifted to you. Um, so so there's lots and lots of, of resources out there. Just you know, and if you can't necessarily figure out how to make that work and to navigate the system, uh, there are you know ask a, your wife, your husband, a friend. Um, you know, there's National Alliance on Mental Illness, I would imagine, and, and Mental Health America. These are sort of smaller local chapters a lot of times that kind of exist in different communities and, and large suburban areas. And if you, you know, reach out to them, I'm sure somebody that works in their office might be able to help you find some services and things like that. So there's resources out there, and we just, you know, we need to, 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 to find them. There's also... Um, Another resource called Docs, it's uh, it's a new mental health app that I'm just serving as an advisory board member, so I've got no stake in it or anything like that. But it's pretty great. It's peer-to-peer, um, you know, and you can just ask any question you want on here. Um, so it's docz.com, and they're about to put it into the App Store, but you can still use it. Um, and uh, And there's lots of, you know, experts in mental health and depression and you can get some something from a fellow you know layperson and then they'll also have people responding who are doctors and clinicians and stuff like that so um so just wanted to highlight that there's resources and there's help out there um and ways for you to speak openly and honestly about what it is that you need yeah, and you gave some great examples, too, that, you know, you, sometimes our family might not be the first step. Maybe it is your employer or you mentioned a union or other types of groups that people could reach out to. Um, I think that's a that's really a good message to, to share. So we're going to be heading into break. I just want to remind our listeners that the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And for our international listeners, you can go to W www.iasp.info to find your local crisis center in your local area. So please stay tuned. You're listening to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope.
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O voiceamerica at gmail.com now back to the journey here again is jessica pira welcome back everyone my guest today is author playwright and actor and the executive director of the impossible project josh rivadell so josh i wanted to um, spend some time talking about uh the impossible project so can you share with our listeners what this is and why you began it Sure. Um, so the I'm Possible Project, I mean, it's it's got its origins really when I first started around 2011, but officially we started in 2014 in the beginning. And basically it's an organization dedicated to creating programming, seminars, keynotes, curriculum, um, all around mental health, diversity, suicide prevention, but it all, all of it integrates a creative element to it. Um, and it also all integrates storytelling because storytelling is so powerful and one of the reasons I started it this way was because I was telling my own story, and then after uh, you know somebody got my book, or after somebody had seen me present my program, uh, one of my programs that had my one-man show in it, you know, they felt compelled to tell me their story, uh, their grandmother, mom themselves, you know, rape, depression, suicide, you know, kind of the gamut. And after they told me their story, I felt like I knew more about the world and I was more empathetic and it kind of changed my life. And I also felt and knew, and in many cases, they would tell me that it changed their life as well and they wanted to make more of a difference. And so I'm really good at marketing and, and building platforms and things like that because of my experience doing it in theater and, and with a sort of a solo entrepreneur business that I previously owned. And so um, I decided to create this platform for other people to tell their stories and to integrate these stories, again, into curriculum and programming and things like that. And so it kind of started as a blog um, and was sharing people's stories that way. And then we, we put together our first book, um, The Impossible Project, creating, Reengaging with Life, Creating a New You. And as you said at the top of the show, it debuted number one in the suicide category mm-hmm. in January 2016. And uh, the numbers are really good, and more importantly, it's helping people. And there's in this in this particular volume, there's depression, you know, there's mental health, there's 
trauma, there's crisis, there's families, second act, second chances, and it's all a thousand words. So it's very much in the style like Chicken Soup for the Soul, but much grittier and a little less polished, but in a good way, because I really wanted people to get that raw feel of how people tell their story. And then I come in and I edit and, and, and kind of work th- through some things so that the story stays streamlined. They were putting out a second volume in 2017 um, called um, Changing Minds, Breaking Stigma, Achieving the Impossible, still under the Impossible Project umbrella, and that's just all mental health, OCD, depression, cutting, um, schizophrenia, bulimia, etc. And I just thought it was really important to, uh, you know, to get those stories out there. And then we'll be, um, about a few months prior, we're going to going to be launching some uh, some curriculum that has five modules right now and it's aimed at um k through k through eight high school college ceus for social workers and uh you know the boardroom and church and this and that you know it's kind of adapting and that's called changing minds and that's um what mental health is and isn't there's also um a module on suicide prevention and you know how we're to help a friend and there's coping skills and there's storytelling and, and, and building um, support systems and things like that. So um, we're piling that right now, doing some work with some scientists. But it's really just, and, there's, and that, that actually integrates improv theater. There's elements of improv theater in that, and uh, that's a lot of fun. And so far it's been testing well. Um, but basically I began it because I, I felt storytelling was so powerful, and so I started researching the art and science of storytelling, and, uh, and that's kind of what launched you know, the next round of programming, the curriculum, um, a few other new programs, and then, of course, the books. Wow, that's wonderful. What an amazing amount of resources that you're providing. And I think, you, like you mentioned, you're really you're sharing stories about these various topics because when we talk about the impact of depression and other things, we, we kind of, when we start to peel back kind of somebody's history, you know, there may be trauma, there there may be, you know, other issues that have occurred that now are playing out in their adulthood. Um, and just really telling that story is so powerful to people to relate to it and really make a connection to say, okay, this is why this is happening and this is why I feel this way. And it's possible, as you shared, to, to get help and to, to live a, a happy life um, going through those challenges that sometimes people are faced with. Now, you had shared that you've, you do a lot of public speaking um, really nationally and internationally about your story. Is there specific types of questions you always get from your audience um, that su- or any specific question that surprises you? Um, I don't remember that any really surprised me, but I think there's a few that people want. You know, they want to know how I'm doing with my mom and my family, and, and we're doing great. Um, you know, we got a lot closer after I got married, and my sister had a baby, and um, and, and so we just finding more points of common ground, um, which is really nice. And, and just as we get older, you know, and, um, yeah. and then, uh, you know, how I feel towards my dad and, and what, you know, if I'm hanging on to anything and I'm not, you know, I, I mean, I do miss him at times, you know, when I got married and, you know, certain birthdays and, and holidays and just wanting to meet my, you know, stepkids and, and, and just kind of be there at the, at the sort of monumental pieces in life places in life and um and and so i'm not holding any grudges or anything like that i mean it's just that's too heavy a burden to carry through life um and then uh, people ask me about my faith a lot too because of kind of what my dad's experience was and um how i shied away from the way he experienced faith 
and I kind of created it in my own way. And so I don't really get into that, but they, they want to hear about it a little bit. So I tell them a little bit, speaking in generalities a little bit, because I just think faith is such a personal piece, and I don't want it to come across as, like, my experience is better than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but I dive into it a little bit, and, um, and that's, I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, uh, just, just letting people know that, in a sense, that was one of the components of recovery for me as well. Um, finding it in my own way and and sort of making it my own experience instead of like living up to what other people expected me to have as that experience. Um, so that was part of finding myself. So those are probably three different probably three different questions that I get um, that seem somewhat somewhat consistent. And then the other consistent piece is really just people wanting to share with me what's going on in their world and their life and where they've been and and that's that's a pretty special um, experience to to go through with somebody. Now, how do you just continue to take care of yourself? I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of great support around you, but when you're constantly sharing this experience with people as part of your mission of of telling your story, um, you know, I'm sure that there's difficult days. Um, so how do you, what are some things that you do for self-care? Because I think part of our mental health is is always knowing how to take care of ourselves as well in those difficult times and difficult moments. Is there some things you can share about your self-care that might help people? Sure. Yeah, my, my self-care involves, I'm not in therapy as much as I probably should be, but I'm, I'm in off and on. So that's been, that's been helpful. Um, I just recently took a, an extended course in um, social and emotional intelligence, and it's all about knowing how to uh, identify your emotions and then engage with them and then renegotiate kind of in whatever direction you want to go after you've sort of figured out what you're going through. So I do that a lot. Um, I, you know, I check in with my emotions. I have a little app that, um, that I work through on that. And then just talking things through with friends, talking things through with my wife, um, uh, making sure I take appropriate breaks. You know, I don't, I don't work weekends anymore and that's, you know, you may or may not consider that a luxury, but I just, I need to do that. I need to be with my family. I need to be with myself. I need to not always work. You know, I I used to work every single day and that Mm -hmm. was a choice. And, um, you know, I realized I could fit all of my work into a regular 40-ish hour work week instead of prolonging it. So um, I think, you know, taking regular breaks, checking in, traveling when, if, if when possible, and even if that's just one county over, I think just seeing new surroundings and stuff. There. So it's, it's really talking and self-preservation, self-management, time management, and, um, you know, coping skills and emotional management. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we, um, you know, need to be selfish sometimes in taking care of ourselves. We have so many demands on us at times, if it's work or just other things that we're involved in. And you do have to take those breaks because that's the way that you're going to continue to help um, your mental health um, and keep yourself, um, you know, feeling positive and not strained and stressed. And and I think that's an important piece when we talk about men um, and mental health is this kind of drive to just keep going, going, going going, if it's work or if it's family or if it's, you know, expectations of maybe their community. Um, but when you're not sleeping well or you're not eating well, those are things that do impact your care and your mental health. So it it really is important to know kind of the boundary of when you need to stop and and maybe say no to some things in order to keep your yourself healthy and keep yourself feeling supported and in a, in a different way um, than always supporting others. And I think that might be sometimes a struggle that men might be faced with. And what are your thoughts to that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if, if you're not good for yourself, if you're not uh, practicing self-care, if you're not making sure that you're okay, you're not going to be good for anybody else. So, um, so you really have to just check in and kind of see how you're doing and, and, and what your emotional state is. And, um, and, and really, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a gift to be able to, 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 to be with somebody and to listen to them and want to help. But sometimes it's okay to say no, and it's okay to say I can't right now. Maybe later, instead of instead of sort of being on demand for people, as it were, um, because you know you gotta you gotta be aware of your own emotional, physical, and emotional needs, and um, you know that's that's uh, I think learning to, as I get older, learning to say no. Um, is just as a cha- just as much of a challenge as actually going through with any sort of help or being with somebody because people expect you to say yes. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes that's ingrained in relationships, but if you can sort of recalibrate and set boundaries, I mean, that's, that's, that's a great thing to do. Absolutely. So I know you had shared a bit already about some of the different projects you're, you're working on. Is there any other projects that you'd like to share with our listeners that, that, to kind of know what, what they um, can look for uh, as they follow you and your work? Yeah, well, I mean, it basically, mostly, I, I pretty much talked about everything I'm working on in the in the realm of mental health. It's it's the curriculum which we're still piloting and we'll be launching early next year. We've got the second book coming out, and the first one is still available. Um, it'll be it'll always be available as as will my memoir. And then just you know, because I, uh, I need to for my own sort of creativity and mental health. I mean, this is just a something that um, you know, piece of creativity that I've been working on for a couple of years and just on the side. Um, it's uh, it's a fantasy novel series that has, uh, or all the spells are in Spanish, and um, takes place in the past and in the present. And um, that is uh, that's cooking. And I have a couple of agents, some literary agents, interested in helping me sell it to a publisher. And so mm-hmm. we're kind of working through that process. And and uh, even though there isn't any uh, specific mental health things in there, I do have you know modeling of of good behavior of not good behavior but of um you know of 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 mentally healthy characters and and uh and and you know help seeking behavior and stuff like that but it's all under the guise of young adult fiction so uh just kind of my way of getting mental health and suicide prevention way upstream Absolutely. Oh, that sounds really exciting. Um, so why don't you share with our listeners your website and maybe where they can get your books and, and your information just so they can check you out and, and follow you. Sure. Yeah, so um, my website is uh, www.iampossibleproject.com. That's I-A-M-possibleproject.com. And uh, you can get all my social media links there. Um, I have an email list. It's a weekly blog, which is kind of a mixture of mental health suicide prevention, self-development, and maybe a little bit of the arts. And uh, so it's just a weekly thing. I don't sell it. I don't, you know, your information is private. Um, I've got it. So that's an email list on there. And then there's also a contact form. If you fill that out, that'll go straight to my email address. So, like, I'll always get it. I'll always see it. It's just kind of helpful to have that so spam doesn't mm-hmm. kind of come through. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then for the books, um you can find that all on my website. They're also selling on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, things like that. Um, the direct link to the Impossible Project, the first book, is I am 
impossibleproject.com slash one. And then if you want to look at some of the suicide prevention work, it's iimpossibleproject.com slash suicide dash prevention. So um, those are some ways to get in touch, and I'm pretty responsive and, and pr- pretty responsive, and I love to hear from anyone and everyone. Well, Josh, I want to just thank you so much for joining me today and really sharing your story and helping us to um, tell our stories so that we can help reduce stigma around mental health, especially for our men in our lives. So I I want to thank you again for for being with me uh, today. And I just want to remind our listeners that the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. And for our international listeners, you can go to www.iasp.info. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in today for another episode of The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join me every week Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And again, if you have any questions or comments about the show, please contact me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. So thank you so much for tuning in today and do your part this week to provide hope to others. Thank you for tuning in to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join your host, Jessica Pirro, for another edition of the program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.